Mosaic Pioneers. Welcome to episode four of Piocast, produced by Pioneer Digital Media. It's your soon-to-be favorite host, Wade Fisher, and today's theme is collections. Whether it be belly button lint, bubble gum, or beanie babies, pretty much everyone has a collection of some sort, and every collection has a story. Let's hear first from Lucy Gilchrist about people's crazy collections. You probably collect something, or maybe you know somebody who does. Have you ever thought about the reasons why? Some people collect items simply because they enjoy it, but for others, it goes deeper. Collecting can allow people to reconnect to a time they feel strongly about, whether that be their childhood or maybe even a time when a loved one was still around. For some, collecting can give them a sense of security by tying their feelings to something tangible. For example, a reason someone may collect old vinyl records is because they love music. Somebody else may collect coins because they want to learn more about the place the coins come from. The list of reasons why people collect things could go on forever. Nevertheless, collecting is simply a human instinct that many use as a way to connect themselves to one another and build community. We asked our listeners, the students and teachers at Staney High School, about the things that they collect. Some answers we received were chapstick, Disney pins, baseball and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, rocks, shoes, and coins. We were able to hear directly from Mrs. Shields and Mr. Rakos about their collections. Hi, this is Mrs. Shields. And one odd thing that I collect are little tiny plastic aliens. You know, the kind you can buy for 25 cents from gumball machines. I started collecting these little aliens about 20 years ago. Every time I would go to the grocery store and see those little tiny aliens in their little plastic capsules, I would have to run over there and buy one. After a while, they stopped selling the little aliens and I was pretty depressed until one time I decided to take a trip to Roswell, New Mexico. Well, it turns out that Roswell has a bunch of little gift shops, all of them about alien stuff. So I went into this one gift shop and they had hundreds of different styles and colors and shapes of all kinds of little baby plastic aliens. So I went crazy and I bought a whole collection worth. And now they sit in my house, I have them all lined up, and they stare at me. Uh, I started collecting records, oh, I think in ninth grade. Uh, the very first record I ever bought was Never Surrender by Triumph. And then after that, I started uh, buying albums from Sammy Hagar and uh, Y&T. It just started growing. We didn't have access to streaming music services or things like that. Uh, so my friend and I would go to the library to research which albums were available by which groups and go to the record stores and check the bins every week for new releases or old things we hadn't heard about. And over time, the collection grew and grew and grew uh, to the point now where I, I believe I have approximately 2,500 vinyl records and, and that many more compact discs. Vinyl records give you that, that large size artwork, uh, the liner notes, other things that, that are just lacking from today's streaming music. You got a broader picture of what was going on. So it, it was fun. And, and for many years, it was a kind of a back and forth challenge with a, my high school friend and I now it's, it's gotten to where 
you know, you go to a thrift store and, and find that excitement of getting that one record that you've been searching for for 20 years. My kids make fun of me. They say, well, you don't need that stuff anymore. You've digitized it all. You just need your flash drive or your hard drive. But, uh, but there's something about the physical music, actually putting a record on the turntable, setting the needle down and listening to the music the way it was intended to in the time period. As you can see, the variety of collections just here at Sandy High School is diverse. Thank you to everyone for sharing your collections with us. Not quite belly button lint, but a great example of some crazy collections. Listen to Katie Fisher talk about a popular 90s collector's craze, Beanie Babies. wandering the aisles of the local Goodwill when a collection of Beanie Babies caught my eye. But what really interested me was their value. I know it's somewhat of a meme that Beanie Babies are worth like college fund, so when I saw a sizable collection for $2, I had to jump on the opportunity. For the meme, of course. When I returned to the car, I googled the name of Seaweed the Otter, uh, who I found particularly cute. The first article to show up, Top 10 Most Valuable Beanie Babies. Supposedly, I was holding a brand new car inside my hand. I mean, I just hit the jackpot. My whole collection that Goodwill valued at $2 was worth upwards of 10 grand. Except I read a little closer and saw that they were only worth that much with perfect tags. Mine were in no such condition. In reality, I probably overpaid for the Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies haven't held any value since the 90s. Although we all know the stories of people paying hundreds of dollars for a single Beanie Baby. So how did this all start? was just fired from his old job as a toy salesman. He was reported selling his own product alongside the company's. But don't feel bad for him because immediately after getting fired, he moved to Italy for three years. This is where Ty supposedly got the idea for Beanie Babies. For those who don't know, Beanie Babies are these cute little stuffed animals and they come in a huge variety of species and colors and they're most known for their understuffed look. Under the company T.Y., named after himself, Ty Warner, Beanie Babies met little success when they first were put onto shelves in 1993. For about $5, you could get any Beanie Baby available, like Allie the Alligator, Iggy the Iguana, or Batty the Bat. What turned this child's toy into an investment was the perfectionism of the owner, Ty. Unsatisfied with Peanut the Elephant's navy blue color, he decided to change the fabric to a lighter blue. By discontinuing the original Peanut the Elephant, he unintentionally drove up the demand and value, making it a highly sought-after collector's item. T.Y. saw this trend and started making limited releases the norm. 
In order to keep the value of Beanie Babies up, TY only released new products in small boutiques in very limited amounts. I interviewed Jodel Ricker about her experience working in one of these gift shops in the 1990s. No, because we hit them back behind the counter so that we could just skim to them. Oh, it was pretty fun. It was pretty crazy on Beanie Baby Day. When they came in, we'd kind of keep it a secret so people wouldn't bug us. But there were lots of customers we put them back for. They were good customers. But the rest of them lined up outside and waited for us to open. And it was it was crazy. Oh, yes, I saved uh, two of each for Joyce and her girls, who are now grown, and she finally got rid of them. Uh, about three boxes full of them, I think. She thought they were going to get rich and pay their way through college, but they couldn't even sell them in a garage sale. And we'd be sold out by the time the day was over. In 1995, it was commonplace for people to drop insurance in favor of Beanie Babies. There's a case where a divorcing couple held such value to Beanie Babies that they put them in a huge pile in the courtroom and took turns choosing which ones they got to keep. It's hard to explain how big Beanie Babies were. During this time, 10% of all sales on eBay were Beanie Babies. Needless to say, they were a cultural phenomenon. But like all bubbles, it has to pop eventually. By the 2000s, Beanie Babies market was flush with plush. However, no one wanted them anymore. The display boxes were tossed aside in favor of Rubbermaid bins for the attic. You can assign any price for a product, but if no one wants to buy it, it's worthless. After I found all this out, I started asking around if anyone wanted to give me their old collection. And I'm not proud to say that I am the owner of a worthless 171-piece collection of Beanie Babies. Even though they hold no monetary value, I like the historical value that they hold. The perfect example of a fad that can turn people's expensive and risky collections into nothing but garage sale goods. Beanie Babies came and went, but the collections are here to stay. Lend an ear to Sabin Schulfer as he shares a personal narrative about his aunt and her collection. As a kid, I remember asking on multiple occasions on our way to my grandpa's house for family gatherings, is Aunt Sam going to be there? My grandpa's sister, my great aunt, Sam, was a very important person for my dad's side of the family. She gave the whole family, even with some living across the country, a sense of never-ending love and connection for one another. And with everyone loving her so much, if she were to come into town for a reunion, it meant everyone else would try and come as well. She was held very dear to us. You see, my aunt Sam was born with Down syndrome. 
And because of it, besides for us as her family, it was very hard for her to build relationships with other people. So for her, her collections became held just as dear to her as she was to us. She had begun collecting pencils as a hobby, all sorts of types with countless amounts of designs on them. None were colored pencils, but they had very colorful designs. None were used to write with, but the stories she would write in her head for them were amazing. You see, this collection was much more to her than just a bunch of cool pencils she had liked. As my dad had once said to me while growing up, they were almost like people to her, and they needed to be treated with care as such. These pencils couldn't just be kept in a case and dumped out on the floor when she wanted to use them, no. Each individual and unique pencil had a name, a full story. There were families, there were favorites, there were connections to these pencils held just as highly as our whole families to each other. These pencils really helped Sam in so many ways. It also helped others in interacting with her. I still to this day remember the first time she allowed me to meet some of these pencils of hers. I couldn't have been more than five, so I was under supervision from my other aunt, Melanie. I went to grab one without permission from Sam and she got mad at me. If I remember correctly, I was told by Sam that she was sleeping. It was then I remembered what my dad had said about these almost being people to her. As I got introduced to more and more of them, saying hi and having conversations with them, I slowly got to realize that these were embodiments of Sam. She would tell her own stories, whether they were true or not, through these little pencils. Some may have been based on certain aspects of herself. Others may have been stories she wished she were able to have. Regardless, it was always in an amazing experience. Every time I'd see her, there would be new pencils to meet, and she'd be astounded that I'd remember so many from the time before. Sam had other infatuations, her favorite TV shows, Dukes of Hazard coming to mind, and Soda being the other main ones I can strongly remember. Wherever she traveled to, she had to have the sodas she liked be there for her, and she'd be in charge of them too. It almost became a rite of passage for her to accept you having one of her sodas, and if she poured it out for you, that had meant she really was accepting of you. I'll never forget the Pepsi glass that was made for me. But nothing had the same level of importance to Sam as her pencil collection did. They grounded her, gave her something to love as much as we loved her. Family and how strong its sense of connection is within it has always been an extremely important thing to me. While growing up, I'd love family reunions because of this. The sense of unconditional love for one another being spread around my grandpa's house for everyone to embrace is just so wholesome for me. And that's why I'd ask if Sam would be joining us as a kid and hopefully her pencil collection along with it. Because that feeling of love would be guaranteed to come along with her for us. I'd hope that all of us could try and give off that same sense of love in as many ways as we can throughout the rest of our lives as well. A truly touching story from Sabin. Now, on to the Pilecast exit ticket with Sid. The month of March is National Women's History Month, so make sure to show your appreciation for your friend who just happens to be female, your mom, your grandma, your girlfriend, just any women in general. Doesn't have to be in your life, they can be outside your life too. Just be nice to strangers, you know? And now, ooh, voice crack. And now for this episode's joke. 
Why did the golfer bring two pairs of pants? In case he got a hole in one. <laughs> Collections are everywhere. For some, it is the most sensible way to express themselves and what they love. It can be big or small, crazy or common. A collection allows you to express your interests in the best way possible. Send us a photo of your collection via Instagram at Pioneer Digital Media, and we'll share them on our feed. Next week's topic is hobbies. Send us a voice memo and share your hobbies, and we'll share your answers in the next episode. You can find the link to the Google form in our Instagram bio or in the episode description. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you for episode five in a fortnight. Piocast is a Pioneer Digital Media production. Our program director is Katie Fisher. Segments produced by Katie Fisher, Sydney Hill, Lucy Gilchrist, Al Schreiner, and Sabin Schulfer. Hosted by me, Wade Fisher. This episode was edited by Spencer Jones. <laughs>